who comforteth us in all tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort we with ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abandon us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. We had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, and whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, that the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you, word. We write none of the things unto you than that what you read, or acknowledge, and I trust you shall acknowledge even to the end. As also have you acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before, that you might have a second benefit, to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I therefore, when I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? That with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay. But as God is true, our word toward you is not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Savannah and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us with you is Christ, and hath anointed us is God who hath also sealed us, and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. So I titled the message this morning, Life Support in Sufferings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, that we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto we would do well to take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. We understand we're living in a world filled with darkness, yet there's light through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we look into your word today, that you would open our understanding and might receive it, we live in a world that is hurting, that needs comfort, consolation, that is angry, and they only know why. Father, we have answers and solutions from the Word of God. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us today to be encouraged, to be strengthened, and to be challenged. 
be a witness and a testimony for you, a source of comfort and consolation to those that are hurting or suffering as we go through trials and sufferings in our own life, that we might be better equipped to help those that are in any trouble. So Lord, just help us. Help us to realize that we have support, that our strength is in you, and by the grace of God, we can be a courage and comfort to others. So Lord, just help us. Give us wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we started this chapter and we talked about our position that we have in Christ and of course our purpose, as Paul states here in the first several verses, that we can be a source of comfort to those who are in every trouble and that's why that's, you know, and God uses the trials and tribulations in our own lives so that we can have understanding and wisdom to help others who are going through trials and sufferings. You know, life is full of suffering. That's life. And so as, this morning I kind of pick up there and kind of build on that. And I have three points this morning. Uh, the suffering's three main points, and then many sub-points. Uh, the, the sufferings of life, the sentence of death, and then the support of life in suffering. First of all, the sufferings of life. Uh, and I want to notice two things here. First of all, the peril of suffering. In verse 5, he says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. You know, the Bible tells us throughout the book that Suffering is a part of life, even the Christian life. In Acts 14.22, it says that they went confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6, Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. With joy of the Holy Ghost. Do you remember how the, when, when Paul and Barnabas, and, uh, and I can't remember if anybody was with them at the time, but, they, but, they, but I think they went to Lystra, and Lystra they had to flee because of persecution. They go to Thessalonica, and at Thessalonica the Jews raise insurrection against them. They flee to Berea, but yet even in the midst of that affliction at Thessalonica, of being run out of town, a church was established. The word affliction means a pressing together, an oppression, distress, straits. Do you ever feel like you're being pressured sometimes? That the world is pressuring you? It's not new to you. It's been part and parcel of the life of God's people. Hebrews 11, 25 and 26 says that, that Moses choose to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. He, was, he chose to be ill-treated in company to share persecutions or ills that would come upon him because of the choices he made. Right choices. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the suffering he had to go through. You know, as we think about the sufferings of life, 
We have our own flesh that causes us suffering. That we have to bring into subjection. You know, for a person to get saved, they have to subdue the flesh. The flesh doesn't want to humble itself and, re- and repent of their sin. And, 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 all, and there's a, often a battle that takes place for one to come to Christ. We have to subdue the flesh. It battles, and after we are saved, it continues to battle with us. We battle with what others think. I remember my good pastor friend, he was part of our wedding ceremony. Him and another guy were, I mean, they were like this. They were best friends. This other guy was one of my t- t- teachers in the Bible Institute. Well, you know, and these are men. I mean, the, one of them, the, the preacher, was a, a state wrestling champion. I mean, these were real men, not nice guys, okay? But, but you know, and there was a young man, they were not saved. And I'm not sure how old they were when they got saved. But, but both of them got saved the same week, but did not know the other and got saved. And each of them said to themselves, Jim said, I wonder what Bob will think. And Bob was saying, I wonder what Jim's going to say. See, we often think we men don't care what people think. Really? We all care what people think. So we battle with others, people, what people think, what they will say, how they respond. You know, and this can come from the world. Because the world is at war with God's people. If you don't think that, what happened in the first family? Cain kills Abel. But sometimes the worst pressure and persecution or affliction can come from other Christians that disapprove of your form of religion. You may be just too narrow. You may, they may, you may hear things like this. Well, you just think you're better than everyone else. Not that, and they'll say that not really seeking to know or understand the truth. And it is a pressure and affliction that we constantly face. It is a serious threat and battle that we battle with, particularly our young people. They're under pressure. You know, Pharaoh said to Moses, you men go and worship. Just leave the children and the women here. Moses said, no, we have to go with our wives, our children, our cattle, and our asses. God requires, I don't know about your God, Pharaoh, but our God requires all of us. We have frail bodies that are susceptible to sickness and disease, just like everyone else. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we escape all these things. Governed by the same laws of nature, require maintenance, nourishment, sleep. Your body needs the right amount of sleep. I know a man that's handicapped today because he didn't go to bed early enough the night before. He will tell you that. So there's the peril of suffering, but I want you to notice also the purpose of suffering. Verses 5 and 6 says, 
For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. And whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. See, God allows suffering in our life, and, and some of the suffering is because of sin in the world, but God allows these things so that we can comfort or console others. The word consolation here means to alleviate or lessen the grief or sorrow or disappointment, to give solace or comfort. You know, knowing Christ as Lord and Savior gives purpose and meaning to life. You know, understanding the Lord, His creation, helps us understand the seeming complexities of life. You know, people often say, why is there so much evil in the world? And they don't have answers. They don't know why. Why are so many young people angry? If you don't believe they're angry, just look at the riots. They're full of angry, anger and hate. So why is there so much? Well, we need to ask ourselves the question that what was God, what was the world like as God created it? Genesis 1.31 tells us that after he looked at everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, if you looked out in our world today, would you say, oh, it's very good? No, it's not very good. I mean, everything he made, that was man, woman, animals, plants, the earth, the heavens, everything was very good. But God gave man a free will, a power of choice. And see, some people say, well, that's the problem right there. Would you rather be a puppet? Not having any choice to choose whatever you do in life, you just just would you ever be living in, in communist China where you're basically told what you're allowed to do and can't are not allowed to do? That's being a puppet. Or would you ever live here where you have some freedom of choice? And see, so some people have this idea: well, well, God, I'll just step in and take care of it. Do you want to be a puppet, or would you like to have choice? And we know that man chose to rebel against God. Romans 5.12 says, As by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. Well, if God is so powerful, why doesn't he do something about it? There's the free will of man. And, every, and even when God gives man opportunity to, good, to, good, to do good and prospers, you know what he does? Like we read in... Judges this morning, Sunday school, he rebels and departs from God. It's a reality of history that affliction brings people to God. In fact, there's an interesting two couple verses in Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26 and verses 9 and 10. Isaiah 26, 9 and 10, where the prophet Isaiah, speaking to a nation of people that are departing from God, and this is what he says. And by the way, they were wealthy. They were well-to-do. Isaiah 26, 9 and 10. 
With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. So when the judgments of God are in the earth, the inhabitants will learn righteousness. However, let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness in the land of uprightness, will he deal unjustly, and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Manasseh was the wickedest king. He had the best start of many of the kings of Israel. He had a godly father, Hezekiah, who, who, who uh, gathered riches and abundance to himself. And he was a wealthy king, and he was a prosperous king. God prospered him. He was a good king. His son takes all that prosperity and just rebels against God. And actually made brought prostitution into the house of God. Burned babies on altars to Moloch. And God brought the Assyrians. In 2 Chronicles 33.12 it says this, And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And just to demonstrate the mercy and grace of God, God was merciful to him and brought him back to his throne. The book of Judges is a record of Israel's success, then turning away from God, and then affliction. And it happened over and over and over again. It got so often and so to the point that in Judges 10, 12 through 14, it says the Sidonians also, the Amalekites, the Moanites did oppress you, and you cried to me and delivered you out of their hand. Yet ye have forsaken me and served other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you no more. Go cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. God finally got tired of it and said, just go call to your gods. But you know what? Those gods couldn't help them. Hosea 5.15 says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their fence and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. You know, we have answers and solutions to life's man, life's need, and that is a right knowledge and understanding of God and a relationship with Him. You know, many people that are out there riding don't really even know why they're doing it. They're just doing what they're told and being paid to do. So the purpose of suffering is so that we can comfort others who are in their affliction. You know, Paul even wrote in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5 and 6, says, When we were come in Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. You know, every, everybody, even Paul had times of troubles. He said, Without were fightings, within were fears. Does it sound like your life sometimes? Sometimes there's fightings and fears. He says, Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. 
You know, somebody may be going, going through fears and fightings, and you may be the source that God brings into their life of comfort. You see, the purpose of suffering is so that we can comfort others. Secondly, we see the sentence of death, verse, verses 9 and 10 here, and I have several things I want to mention. First of all, you know, we have the cause of death in ourselves. Verse 9 says, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead. Uh, of course, this sentence of death has passed basically from generation to generation, and that, of course, that is the sentence of sin. God told Adam and Eve the day they eat of that tree, they were going to die. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Uh, you know, we have the cause of death in ourselves. It's called sin. Sin is a transgression of the law of God. Romans 7, 5 says, When we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work on our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Romans 8, 6, For to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. If you are of a carnal mind, if you are in a rebellion against God, you don't like His uh, commandments, you don't like His laws, and you want to do your own thing, you're headed for death. And you're bringing death into your own life. Proverbs says the way of the transgressor is hard. The Lord on the road to Damascus told Saul, Tarsus, it's hard for thee to kick against the bricks. You know, his life was hard. Spewing out vengeance and hatred where he went. What a wonderful life. But you know, he thought he was doing right. See, we have this sentence in death in ourselves. We're all, we all have this sin nature. And if we don't Keep it subdued by the Spirit of God. It will lead us and it will control us. And we need to, what we need to do is we need to sentence ourselves dead to self. Notice verse 9 again. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. You know, we live in a world that's full of death, and Paul, living in a world, who, who he faced death constantly, and so he was under this constant threat of death, and, and I, we don't know exactly what the situation here is with Paul's life, but when he surveyed his situation, he was not optimistic. If you notice in verse 8, he says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure of both strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. You know, he was thinking, I am going to die now. You know, it could have been the riot at Ephesus, or some say it, it could have been a severe sickness. But from his perspective, he was going to die. He was beyond the help of man. And his reaction is normal. And this is, again, the beauty of the Bible it gives us an honest picture of even as heroes... He says, I was pressed out of measure. I despaired of life. I was distressed in despair. I was helpless and hopeless. Yeah, sort of like, reminds me of the story I heard about the construction worker who's employed on a building project that required him to work at night. 
Well, busy on a wall several stories high one night, he lost his balance. But managed to grasp the edge of the wall with his hands. He clung desperately, calling for someone to help him. It was dark, and the noise of machines drowned out his cries for help. And gradually, his arms grew weak, and his fingers slipped against every effort to hold on for his life. But he lost his hold with a terrifying cry, fell! Three inches to a scaffold that had been there all the time. But the darkness prevented him seeing it. And all through his anxiety, he was safe. You know, it's easy for us to be terrified in the circumstances of life. While all the time there's a scaffold of God's care beneath us. You know, our ignorance of it doesn't change its certainty. It just simply destroys our peace. Circumstances, stress, world, people at work, your husband, your wife, your kids, your, our own stupidity, all these things can distress us. But notice verse 9. I like some of the buts in the Bible. But in God, which raiseth the dead. But again, notice Paul says, I want to read verse 8 again. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired evil of life. You know, he was, he was, he was, he was, you know, he, he was distressed. He was in despair. He had nowhere to turn. He said, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. And here is a faith that's born out of failure. It is a new confidence in God. It's a bitter experience that almost took his life, but gives him new faith. See, God will use the experiences of life to give us faith. You know, bitter and painful experiences can leave us better or bitter. With more faith or more fearful. And it all depends on whether the old man is dead. There's a saying, the same sun that softens butter hardens clay. Which kind of heart do you have? And is your old man dead? That's the key. Who are you trusting in? Your sight does not see what only faith can apprehend. Deuteronomy 33.27 says, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. You 
And for us to be of value, of life-changing help to others, we need to be spirit-filled, we need to be dead to self, we need to be energized, empowered by, controlled by the Spirit of God, otherwise we will be bitter and angry, people crying over our rights like we see in the world today. Lamenting, lamenting victims that can never be appeased. Living to satisfy our flesh. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31. Paul says, I protest by rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. Now, again, there's no certainty here of he, did he actually face beasts or was he calling the men at Ephesus beasts? Because sometimes the Bible does that. What advantage it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And, and then also go to Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 7 through 12. Second Corinthians 4 verse 7 through 12 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that's this body, that the excellency of the power, notice, may be of God and not of us. We are troubled in every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. So he's saying here, look, I die daily. This is the vessel through whom God's going to reveal himself to a lost and dying world. And I need to, I need to have this body reckoned dead so that the, the power and, and life of Christ can be seen in us. See, to diminish to someone or to help them, as Paul did Corinth, requires sacrifice of self, of time, of talent, of comfort. It means suffering as they suffered. And believe me, the Christians at Corinth faced difficult circumstances. But Paul understood their circumstances because he suffered along with them. He didn't live in a nice little house up in a hill somewhere away from all the troubles and trials of life. Neither did our Lord Jesus. In Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, this is what Jesus did for us. He gave up. He sacrificed himself, his time, his glory, his power, his comfort for us. He gave himself for us. so that we might give ourselves for him. He that saveth his life shall lose it. You know, if we lose our life for his sake, that the life of Christ may be seen in us by ministering to others and bringing comfort and hope to others, he gives us life. So we have the sufferings of life. We have the sentence of death. I want you to notice, I want you to notice finally the support 
of life in suffering. First of all, there's the support of prayer. Support of prayer. Verse 11. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Let me read that again. Ye also helping together by prayer. And I want you to notice this phrase. By the means of many persons. Paul's referring to here the power of corporate prayer. Not just, you know, that's of individuals come together. The means of many mean, the means of many is one word, and it means this. It denotes action, an emotion, a state which can be said to have, as it were, measure, weight, force, intensity, size. Great. Strong, large. And Paul said, you're helping together with largely, with strength, with power. How? By prayer. See, so often we minimize in our busy world, prayer is something that's minimized. And there's power in prayer. James 5.16 says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Much. You know, Moses' prayer for Israel in Exodus 32 changed the course of Israel's history. Hannah's prayer for a son greatly affected the nation of Israel and brought forth one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. Samuel. Hezekiah prayed, and God said, the angel of the Lord, which I believe was an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he slew 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Hezekiah prayed. Daniel prayed, and the Lord told those hungry lions, just shut your mouth. What he did. Just shut your mouth. You know, Jeremiah 33.3 still says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Things you won't be able to comprehend or understand. There's power in prayer. And Paul said, You helped us. You helped us greatly by your prayers for us. But also notice a second support here, and that is the purity of conscience. In verse 12, he says, For our rejoicing is this, that the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you word. The purity of a conscience. You know, the word simplicity means sincerity or mental honesty, the, uh, it's a virtue of one who's free from pretense, no hypocrisy. And godly sincerity means purity, candid, or straightforward, clear. So here's, here was, Paul said, you know, my conscience is this. I was, I was not hypocritical at all with you. I was straightforward, candid. My message was clear. I told you the truth. 
in none of that can I condemn myself for not having done what I should have done. See, Paul kept nothing back. He didn't water down the gospel message to suit their felt felt needs. Which is what a lot we see today in our world, in churches. Pastors are afraid to say certain things and avoid portions of the Bible because certain people are listening. In Acts 20, 26 and 27, he said, Wherefore I take your record this day that I'm pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counts of God. You know, there's confidence and assurance in knowing that you have done what you know to be right in the sight of God. Now, I grant it, sometimes we grow, you know, we grow in a Christian life and we look back and we say, I would have done things different back then. The point is, you do what's right, what you know to be right, now. And don't worry about the past. We don't live in the past. We live in the present. We live in the present. Don't fall into that trap of the devil living in the past. In 1 Timothy 1.5, he says, Now the end of the commandment is charity, have a pure heart, and have a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, or not hypocritical. Verse 19, holding faith in a good conscience. Some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. If you defile your conscience, you're headed for shipwreck. That's what they did in the book of Judges. 1 Timothy 3.9, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. 1 Timothy 4.2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You see, a clear conscience before the Lord will give you boldness and assurance and confidence. And it won't give the devil a handle to get a hold of your life and discourage you and defeat you. Do what's right. But I want you to notice the third thing. Support of life in suffering, and that is the promises of God. Notice verse 18. But as God is true, our word to you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Savannah and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God are in him, are yea, and in him, amen, or so be it, unto the glory of God by us. God is true, and His promises are true, and He will keep His promises. This is what Paul's saying here. And so we can depend on God, who will keep His word to us. He will keep His promises to us. He has promised us His strength. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul was reminded... Uh, of God's, that God's strength would be sufficient. Second Corinthians twelve nine. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, He has promised us He is coming for us, that He will yet deliver us. Second Timothy four eighteen says, and The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, 
to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, as we are reading our scripture memory this morning in Psalm 119, caught my attention. Verse 50, Psalm 119. This is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me, given me life. The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. I remember thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Sometimes we are horrified because of the wicked. But if his statutes are our song, they will sustain us and strengthen us in our pilgrimage. But don't you notice the second thing here? And that is the promise of ownership. Verse 21 and 22 says this, Now he which establishes us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. And this is a promise of ownership. You know, a seal, a seal speaks of ownership. You know, if a king or uh, some kind of magistrate was to send a letter, and he'd, you, he, had a, he had a ring, uh, and, and, and he would you know, make hot wax and put that, that, stamp that wax with that ring to make the, his signet that this is mine. No one dare open that envelope except the person to whom it's dressed because it had the king's seal. The Bible says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It speaks of ownership. We belong to God and we are in the family of God by the new birth, by being born again. And we have been sealed. And there is not a power in heaven or earth or hell that can break that seal. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 and 15, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We're in the family of God. He's our Father. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So we have the Spirit of God that helps us and intercedes for us. And in verses 31 through 35, he asks some rhetorical questions. What shall we say to these things? I mean, if he's Abba, if he's our Father, and we have the Spirit of God who helps our infirmities and we're sealed by him, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who's going to charge you as guilty before God? It is God that justifieth. If God has justified you, 
through the blood of Jesus Christ, who dare charge you guilty? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather it is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? These are just rhetorical questions. The answer is obvious. Because we belong to God. We are children of God. Isaiah 63, 9. You know, children of Israel were rebellious people. I mean, you know how it is. You go through life sometimes, you feel like, I'm so stupid. I've offended God. You know what they did too. Do you know what he said about him? He said this, in all their affliction, this is Isaiah 63, 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bare them, and carried them all the days of old. Because they are his people. We are God's children. By faith in Jesus Christ, we belong to God. And nothing. I like the song they sang this morning. We're kept by the power of God. 1 Peter 1.5 You see, we're going to have suffering. There's suffering in this world. There's death and misery in this world. But we have a God. To whom we belong. Story is told years ago of the king of Bithynia, now Ethiopia, took a man by the name of Campbell, prisoner. He was a citizen of Great Britain. He was carried to a fortress of Magdala and in the height of the mountains put in a dungeon. No cause was assigned for his confinement. After six months, Great Britain found it out. They demanded an immediate release for their citizen. King Theodore refused to release him. Within 10 days, 10,000 soldiers were on ships sailing down the coast. They disembarked, marched 700 miles under the blasting rays of a hot sun up the mountains to the dungeon where the subject was held prisoner. They gave battle, tore the gates down, and soon reached the prisoner. Lifted him out, placed him on their shoulders, and carried him all the way down the mountains. Placed him in one of the big ocean vessels, which sped him safely home. 10,000 soldiers were deployed in the release of one man. It took several months to release and return the prisoner cost the English government $25 million to release that man. The entire government was interested and ready to help him. The Christian belongs to a better kingdom than any earthly kingdom. When a man is born again, he becomes a citizen of heaven. And a whole heaven is interested in the success of that Christian. God save his son to redeem man. He gives his grace to save and keep him. Angels rejoice when any sinner is saved, and all heaven stands back of the child of God. The Lord will do more for his own than any earthly power can do for any of his subjects. See, we belong to God. 
We belong to him. And though we may face suffering in this life, which God allows in our lives, that we might be an instrument of comfort and blessing to others, that they too may come to know him and be born again into the family of God. Life support in suffering.